0: You do you. Let TrueGreen do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: Let's face it. People have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Only at a Sleep Number store or SleepNumber.com.
2: At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica. Empathy.
1: Is our best policy.
3: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, We think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
4: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana.
5: It doesn't get any better than this.
4: Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
5: There really is no place like home.
4: That's why every car we sell is CarMax-certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
5: This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30 day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one
4: travel news journalist. The world, the and now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg.
5: Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from the Southern Crescent. It's the Amtrak train. It goes back over a hundred years on an amazing route that starts at New York City's Penn Station and hits 13 states. 30 different stations, and will arrive by the time we're finished with this show in New Orleans. It's one of America's historic trains and a perfect opportunity to talk about something that doesn't get a lot of attention these days, America's railroads. Train number 19 heading from New York's Penn Station all the way down to New Orleans, 1377 miles, 33 stations, 13 states, and it takes about 30 hours. An amazing run through American history. And this is a train, if you look at the history, this train used to be called the uh, the Southern Railway. And the Southern Railway started with almost 8,000 miles of track. Unbelievable. Uh, it was originally at 4,400, then it got to 8,000. And now it's less than that. Uh, it joined the Amtrak system in 1979. But it's still so much a part of the Amtrak or the train network that built America. And joining me now, somebody knows a little bit about this history. He's the president and CEO. Of the National Association of Railroad Passengers, Jim Matthews. Jim, before we even get going, what is the National Association of Railroad Passengers?
6: So the National Association of Railroad Passengers is an a group of ordinary folks who want to support train travel in this country. They're not companies. They're not. Uh, You're a nonprofit. They're not. We're a nonprofit. These are just ordinary travelers who want to make sure that there's still trains to take next year and the year after that and the year to come.
5: Now you just heard Arnie Weisson on right before you came on talking about this is his first real train trip in like 17 years, Uh, I'm sure you hear that a lot.
6: I do, and and yet, uh, once people make that trip, and they say, you know, gee, I I haven't done this in a while, I'm gonna do this. Once they do it, they say, you know, I'm gonna do this more, because they compare that to other modes, they compare the hassle of flying, and they realize that this is a good alternative, and train travel can be a really pleasant alternative for a lot of folks.
5: And yet, you'd be the first to admit, and if you don't admit, I would think you're crazy, That Amtrak has had serious challenges since it was started. It has. I mean, since 1971, you know, Congress basically saying, make a profit or else, and we've seen the or else.
6: We have. Um, You know, they're under tremendous pressure to behave like a company, uh, and yet they have uh, a structure that really hamstrings them in some ways and prevents them from doing a lot of the things that, you know, a a conventional company might do.
5: For example, I mean, I'll, I'll start with one. They don't own the tracks. That's right and that means that the train that we're on right now even though we're speeding at about 78 miles an hour we we haven't been speeding all that time on this train because we don't have priority on the rails the freight that, trains do
6: and they are amtrak is essentially paying a, a lease uh, they pay a, a, a fee for each train that runs down those tracks and uh so they're just paying their paying for their space every day uh but it's not priority space it's not priority space, and it should be, because technically, by law, uh, Amtrak trains should have priority dispatching on the rails, uh, but in practice, they have not. And uh, that's become kind of a legal issue right now for Amtrak and the, and the other railroads. So
5: maintaining an on-time performance schedule can be difficult.
6: It can be very difficult. Um, it can be hard in the best of circumstances just because railroading is a complex thing, but then when you add in the, uh, the traffic congestion that exists on the, the nation's rails today, it's almost impossible.
5: And yet if you said to most Americans, do you realize that our rail network is congested? They go,
6: really? It's true. You know, people think that they can walk across a track and there's never going to be a train there. But the fact is, we've taken a lot of rail out of service over the years, and yet the traffic has grown. And so you really have a situation where there's just so much traffic on our nation's railroads that there's almost not enough room for everybody to, to pass.
5: Well, you, know, you talk about traffic has grown. Given the cost of gasoline over the last 10 years, given the airline situation with a lot of communities losing service or airfares going up, your ridership in many cases has also gone up.
6: It has. I mean, Amtrak, with a couple of exceptions over the past 10 or 11 years, has had record ridership every single year. People want to take the train, and when they have the ability to take it, they will take it.
5: And yet, despite record ridership, you guys can't still make a real profit.
6: Well, I think it's always been kind of a misnomer. I mean, I I understand that, that there has been some legislative pressure for the railroad to make money, but it's not necessarily the right way to look at it. Each of these routes makes money for the communities that it serves. You know, this is a, a public convenience. Amtrak is operated as a public convenience and as a service to the public. And it, when it was originally chartered, it was supposed to operate in as business-like a fashion as possible in order to reduce the subsidy that had to be provided. That was the language from the original law. Now that has since morphed into you must make a profit. But the fact is that all modes are subsidized. Air is subsidized, rails subsidized, barges are subsidized, everything is subsidized, and nobody asks if our highways make money.
7: Toto, I'm repeating we're not in Kansas anymore.
5: Most people don't realize, my next guest does, and I'm sure he'll be very fast to tell me, that if Amtrak were an airline, how big would it be?
0: Amtrak would be the fourth largest carrier in the country, fifth largest, excuse me, fifth largest carrier in the country for domestic travel.
5: Because you're going to how many places?
0: Because we're going to over 500 destinations throughout the country.
5: Most people don't even realize 46 that. 46 states. What are the four you don't go? Alaska?
0: We don't go to Alaska.
5: Hawaii? We don't go to Hawaii. See, those two I got we right away. We don't to
0: Hawaii, uh, Wyoming, and we don't go to South Dakota.
5: No Wyoming?
0: No Wyoming.
5: Did they ever go to Wyoming? Yes, sir, we did. What happened?
0: Uh, That service was terminated in the 1990s.
5: What about South Dakota?
0: South Dakota, we went to in the night up until 1979.
5: Ooh, they got an early cutoff. Yes, sir. N- no, not a real good chance for that to come back to South Dakota. Uh
0: there, there there's always a chance. You never say never. Uh, but, it, but it's, it's going to be a challenge to say the least.
5: Well, look it up with the oil boom for five minutes in North Dakota, right?
0: That's exactly right. Yeah,
5: but getting back to the, to the matters at heart in terms of passenger rail service, most people would, you know, when I told people I was coming on Amtrak, they went, "Really? Why? Why? You're going to take it all the way from New York to New Orleans? Why?" I said because it's fun, it's an adventure. You see part of the country, I mean we're going through 13 states we're, we're you know we're doing 33 different stations i mean we're we're seeing a different part of america is there an, an opportunity for you doing what you do and we're talking to todd dennis by the way and you work for amtrak and governmental affairs i mean it's your job to basically educate is that a good one
0: that's a correct way yeah, exactly. educate exactly our elected right.
5: representatives in, in a way that they can understand why we need rail sir
0: that's exactly right and th- and that's a never-ending process as you well know
5: but here's here's the, i suppose that either a devil's advocate question or just a rhetorical question, how do you do that when most of those elected representatives don't even take the train themselves and most of them don't understand what you do?
0: Well, you'd you'd actually be kind of surprised when you sit down and talk with them. That's one of the questions I routinely ask mayors and other elected officials that I sit down with is, have you taken our train? Where where do you, when you have used our service before, where have you traveled to? I like to know how they travel and if they've used our train service before. And in most cases, many of them have. When you look at at small-town communities, uh, they don't have any other service options in many cases. They're looking for that mode of transportation that will further enhance their community from an economic development standpoint. Well,
5: you could make that argument that they tremendously and economically depend on you.
0: Most definitely.
5: Uh, Do the ridership numbers hold up?
0: they do in fact in many markets they grow and of course we've leveled off in the last several years but we're still serving over 31 million riders per year uh nationwide
5: but there's we're, a difference though between short haul and long haul
0: certainly there is and, but when you look at a long distance train you've got both using the service uh it's not just a uh, passenger traveling from point A to point B from the beginning to the end of the route you may have a seat that turns over three or four times during the route because of all of the different communities that are served
5: i mean I I consider lucky for me, quite frankly, to be able to go from New York to New Orleans by train because whoever gets a chance to do that, I I got a chance to do that. How many people actually do that?
0: You you have several thousand that do that on a regular basis from the standpoint, again, not necessarily from New York to New Orleans, but again, over the course of the route. And that's what you wanna look at is where is that ridership coming from? Amtrak's long distance network connects small town usa to the major metropolitan areas of the country and therefore you've got thousands of people that depend upon that service day in and day out
5: so i'm sort of like the exception of the rule going from a major gateway city to a major gateway city
0: not necessarily an exception to the rule because i I, i'm in the minority i would say you're in a minority yes okay
5: same as it would be if i was going from chicago to la exactly but i might do chicago st louis
0: that's exactly right Where we have not only long distance service, but we've also got corridor service as well running in that Chicago, St. Louis market.
5: So, I guess you have two challenges, you have more than two challenges, but I'll give you the two that I think you have. One is, how do you get to support the long haul services that you have? And then number two, how do you expand? And can you expand? And given the infrastructure that you already have?
0: Well, certainly we can grow. Uh, there are opportunities for growth, and we're looking at those opportunities as we speak right now. Uh, as you probably are well aware, we are exploring the opportunity to return service east of New Orleans at this time. Over and this is the service that
5: was in, in place before Katrina. Correct. Up so it's August, been gone for 12 years.
0: That's right. Uh, the service that we're looking to return with would be a daily service option, uh, but it would be long Going distance, between? New Orleans and Orlando.
5: Okay. Now, the tracks are already there.
0: Tracks are there. Railroad's in great shape.
5: And you have, the, you have the, the cars for it.
0: We have the equipment, but we've got to work out all the necessary agreements and secure the funding. Uh, and when I say work out the necessary agreements, that would be with the host railroad in order to do that.
5: That would be the freight lines. Yes, sir. We go back to the idea of the freight lines again. It always goes back to them now. That's right. Because the way, the way Amtrak was started, right? Correct. You don't own the tracks.
0: For the most part, we don't own the track. We own the majority of the northeast corridor and a short stretch in the state of Michigan. Right. Everything else is owned by freight carrier.
5: Including the one we're on right including now. Including the one we're on right now. So if a freight train wants to stop right now, we have to stop.
0: Uh, depending on where that freight train is, yes, sir. It can impact us How about this? It's in
5: front of us. What do we do? We if stop. If it's
0: directly in front of us, we're going to stop.
5: Right. That seems a little ridiculous.
0: But it's the infrastructure that we have, and it's what we have to work with.
5: How do you fix that? <clears throat> more cooperation,
0: more infrastructure more money which requires more money
5: and that goes back to congress
0: it goes back to congress as well as the states uh, because the states play a critical role as well we've got state partners throughout the country uh, where we provide service directly for a state that contracts with us through the legislation uh, the pre-legislation passenger rail investment improvement act uh, where a state that is operating a service or a group of states that's operating a service less than 750 miles those states pay for that service
5: Right, but it's on the services that Amtrak has over 750 miles where you've got some challenges
0: Correct, and there, but again there's challenges in both. There's always, there's always a challenge whether it's a long distance route or it's a state route Because it still requires that freight rail infrastructure uh, to operate over So at the end of the day, it, it is a partnership. It's a partnership that is between the states, between the federal government and Amtrak and the host railroads.
5: So, let's let's project out five years, just five years, right? You've got new cars ordered, right? But you don't have the tracks yet to support them.
0: Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say we don't have the tracks to support the new cars because the new no no,
5: ca- no you have the tracks to support new cars going slowly.
0: We have new we have the track the infrastructure to support the network as it is. As I we said, need to, new cars we need going to, slowly. We need, to, we need to grow that network in a way to where investments can be made, that where opportunities exist, what I would call low-hanging fruit, where we can make those improvements. All right, the state of Illinois would be a perfect example of that, of where that's happening, as well as the state of Michigan at this time.
5: So, for example, you have some private partnerships that are at work now, like Brightline in Florida. Right. Right. Um, and they're going to go fast, but they're not really high speed, but they're going to go faster, right? you got the California project in the north-south corridor. Right. But that's, what, 2029, 20, if we're lucky, right? I'll be on that train in a box, <laughs> right? So, I mean, we have to be realistic about this. If you need to improve the tracks, you got to go right back, to, in most cases, to the freight lines. How do you convince them to do a better job for you?
0: Well, again, there's got to be mutual benefit at the end of the day. What's it in it for them? Because they're going to get added infrastructure that's necessary for what they do day in and day out and when you're talking about one or two passenger trains a day they're going to get the rest of the benefit the remaining benefit if i may of utilizing that infrastructure
5: but there's no such thing that i can see on the boards of high-speed freight
0: well no but in the cases of what i just mentioned earlier in the state of michigan the state of illinois where we're doing uh service that's upwards of 110 miles per hour they're still getting improved infrastructure uh... that is being handled through state and federal investment
4: should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure
1: oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat free of charge and to start the flow of oxygen pay your flight attendant seventy five dollars and sixty three
3: cents
5: part of this trip just about not just about the experience of the train, it's about who you, who you meet on the train. And one of the people I met on the train is someone I didn't expect to meet on the train who has a great story to tell, and that's why she's actually here. She's the official storyteller of this route, Betsy Abrams, because you're a ranger, you're a, a trails and rails National Park Service ranger.
7: And we're not the people that some person today already got us confused with the people that do rails to trails. And that
5: person would have been me. Ah. I, you know, because I'm the guy who's done those stories about how they've taken all the abandoned railroad tracks and made them great hiking and biking trails.
7: And we're the ones who like to be on the rails to tell people about national parks, about where Amtrak goes, about uh, cities along the route, about different stories in the cities, civil rights history, especially because of the South, music history, because, hey, New Orleans is the... City where jazz got started and went all around the world. And there's actually a New Orleans Jazz National Historical Park that's part of the National Park Service.
5: But let's start <laughs> at the beginning here because this train goes from New York all the way to New Orleans and you're passing so much history.
7: The only thing is we, as, as part of our Trails and Rails program, go from Atlanta to New Orleans. And that's
5: when you got on the train. That's where
7: we got on the train this morning uh, and the train left Atlanta at 9.05 this morning.
5: I know, I was on it and now you're on it. Okay, let's start in Atlanta then. What is going to be the biggest surprise to your passengers that you tell them that they had no idea they were just about to see?
7: In Atlanta, I'm trying to think. Well, the small Amtrak station, which I wish was a bigger one, but someday... Uh, The other thing would be maybe you never visited the fire station at MLK National Historic Site. Tell me about that. It's not always open because we have to have volunteers to be there. There's not enough park rangers to keep it open. And when you do get to visit the fire station, you'll find out that... MLK played there as a little boy. All the kids in the neighborhood used it as their little safe house.
5: And that's sort of a part of a Martin Luther King experience then.
7: It is. Not just the birth home. It's not just the church where he preached. It's and the visitor center, of course, because you got to have a visitor center in National Park.
5: Absolutely. Okay, so let's head a little further south.
7: A little farther south. You come to Anniston along the route. And Anniston recently, before President Obama left office, was declared the Freedom Riders. I'm not sure if it's a national monument or national historic site, but it's a place the National Park Service eventually will have rangers telling you the story of what happened in 1961 on a Greyhound bus when basically people wanted to do interstate travel on buses, integrated interstate travel. That's when
5: they set the bus on fire.
7: It is. And the good thing for the people on the bus was that the firebomb blew open the door of the bus. The terrible thing about for the people in the bus was they came out of the bus to be beat up by basically the KKK and police were just watching this all go on.
5: But that was a picture that was cemented in the minds of millions of Americans.
7: It was because by then TV was bk had become a big deal. And actually that's the whole thing another story of it MLK would be He may not have become famous except for the fact that he just happened to be in Montgomery when tv was coming around and a lot of the stuff got to be televised i'm not sure about the bus boycott being televised but things after that along the way became televised and it was only an accident he became the big face of the civil rights movement because he was the one who was uh there in montgomery as the new preacher in town just came out of school new pastor in town and the boycott was happening, basically, and we need a leader and a face for this boycott. We're going to form something called Montgomery Improvement Association, and, hey, we want to get this guy who speaks really well as the new preacher in town to be our spokesperson and president of this.
5: Bingo. And there it was. How does the train play into all this?
7: train goes from all these different historic sites to... Uh, because this is why National Park Service and Amtrak joined up, is we can tell stories about where the train goes through. It used to be that trains were the way to get to the national parks or the sites that were around the country.
5: And you still can.
7: And you still can. Certainly the Empire Builder up north goes right by Glacier National Park.
5: That's right. And, of course, you have the city of New Orleans.
7: City of New Orleans goes up past, well, what, goes through St. Louis which is the gateway to the West. And there's the uh, expansion monument. I'm not sure the total name of that, but there's a national park there. And it he also is involved with the Dred Scott civil rights case. The charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The
4: charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is $4.
5: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. In the interest of full disclosure, this is not the first time I've taken this train. I've taken this train numerous times. And about 15 or 16 years ago, when I was on the train, I noticed something very interesting Um, When it stopped in Meridian, Mississippi, it stopped a little longer than usual. I couldn't understand why we were stopping so long in Meridian, Mississippi. And I looked in the dining car, and I couldn't find anybody. And then I found out why. All the guys in the dining car who worked for Amtrak had run off the car, and they were headed straight to a bakery and a restaurant that's been there since what year?
8: 1870.
5: 1870, almost as old as this train line itself. And why were they going there? For the pie? And I watched as they ran back on the train, got back in the dining car, and I looked away for a minute. The train left, and the pies were all gone in about 30 seconds. Everybody knew that Meridian, Mississippi was the stop for Weidman's, and the pie is still there today. And still I'm, there. That's right. I'm we're still making talking Charles Fraser, the owner of Weidman's, uh, a more recent owner.
8: That's right. Yeah. Uh,
5: but what you've done is you've kept the pie.
8: We have. We have. Okay. Uh, now, I,
5: I got to know, because after that buildup, everybody wants to know. Right. By the way, did you bring pie today? I brought a little bit of pie. Okay, good. You can stay on the train. (laughs) All right, thanks. (laughs) Right, but I get first dips because I know it's going to go right away. that's right. What's in the pie, and what is the pie?
8: It's a black bottom pie. Um, It is a graham cracker crust with a dark layer of, or a layer of dark ganache, um, chocolate ganache, as the first kind of layer right on top of that, the, the crust. We then have a layer of chocolate custard that has plenty of bourbon in it because we're in the South. And then we have a layer of meringue that is infused with custard and a little bit of bourbon and then homemade whipped cream on top of that and then uh, dark chocolate shavings. So it's kind of a layered pie, um, and it's, it's a process. Each step takes uh, you know, a considerable amount of time. Does that
5: also include the trip to the hospital?
8: That does. That's right. I just want to make sure that's yeah, included. It's a round trip, yeah. yeah. A round trip? We, we throw it in there. Why not? Yeah. <laughs>
5: have you ever counted the calories? No. You wouldn't want to?
8: Nah, five or six. Not many.
5: Now, I'll tell you who actually told me about the pie in later years. The first uh-huh. time I saw it, just because the guys ran off the train. Sure. The second person who told me about it was Celia Ward. Oh, yeah, yeah. Celia Ward, the actress, is from Meridian. She is. And she told me, when you go back there, you gotta go. Yeah. You know, so I was already on the lookout. What is it about Meridian, uh, one of the major stops here on this Crescent trip, that keeps you here?
8: I love Meridian. Um, I've lived in a lot of cities all over the world, and uh, most recently New Orleans moved up after the storm after Katrina. Um, there is it, It's a big enough city that you've got a lot of different restaurants. The arts here, we've got a, an 1890s opera house that is fantastic. We get some really great shows there, um, but it still has a small-town feel, so you've kind of got the best of both worlds. You've got the larger almost urban aspect of the downtown area, which is beautiful, um, coupled with a, a really a hometown-friendly southern charm, you know, so it kind of has everything for me.
5: And by the way, when I first came down here, the mayor of Meridian was a train fanatic.
8: That's right. He was, yeah.
5: And this and, and he built that station. He got it all done.
8: It is a beautiful station.
5: I mean, you know, when you think about train stations, I and mean, we're heading towards New Orleans now, and I was just told that New Orleans is the last major passenger railroad terminal built in America. And that was 1954. Wow. Yeah. Right. Think about that, right? Yeah. Obviously, you know, train stations get renovated. But in terms of a new construction sure. of a major station, that's it.
8: Yeah. It's so amazing. There's,
5: there's so much history here. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not fr- you're not from around here, are you?
8: No, I'm not. No, no. I've uh, I've moved around a lot. I was born in, in the U.K., in London, and I grew up in New Jersey.
5: Do you want to explain that, please?
8: Uh, I don't know if there is an explanation <laughs> for it. Yeah, my dad's from the Delta, Mississippi Delta, and I worked on Wall Street, so... As I said, grew up in New Jersey. My mother's English. Um, they met overseas in Aden, which is you know, part of Yemen now. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole other tale. We won't get into that. Um, and so j- just kind of moved around. Um, I spent about half my life in the UK, graduated from an American school in London, um, and just kind of been back and forth really on my and
5: life. how did you get to Meridian?
8: Well, uh, after Katrina. Um, I had a relative who was in the restaurant business up here, and the restaurant that I was managing in New Orleans closed down, and my house got flooded, so I was homeless and jobless, and he offered me an opportunity here. So, so
5: basically, we have Katrina to thank for the
8: pie today. That's exactly right, I yes. mean, if you really
5: want to make the connection.
8: Sure, yeah, you can do that. In a given
5: day, not counting when the, when the, when the Crescent stops, uh, how many pies are you selling out of
8: there? 15 to 20, sometimes more. Um, it, it really depends the time of year and what's going on, uh, but I'd say it's a good average. You don't ship. No, no. I, I tried, I tried shipping don't. one to you, actually, a few years ago. It, you did. It didn't work out. I know. But it
5: almost got there. <laughs> right. You know, We wanted well, it. Well, so it, it got there. It oh, just yeah, wasn't. Yeah, it didn't yeah, shake the You know the what? Serve, you're right. So, yeah. the truth be told, it did get there. Right. Um, forgetting the train for a second in terms of the pie, mm-hmm. but let's talk about the train as it relates to Meridian. Sure. How important
8: is it? Oh, it, I mean, it, it was the reason that we were created, I think, um, as far as why Meridian was founded. Uh, 1860 was about the founding date. Um, just when you look at where we're located, we're, we're right on the railroad, of course. Um, now we're on the intersection of two major highways, uh, 59 and 20. And so railroads, interstates have always been our lifeblood. But, uh, you know, obviously back in the day, it was all railroads. And, in fact, Jimmy Rogers is from Meridian, who was the singing break man, you know, the father of country music. So... That's a whole railroad connection right there. So we're a railroad town. I mean, it's it's been our lifeblood for years.
7: Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. But I
6: would
5: Joining me for this hour is the editor in chief of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who just got on board in Gainesville, Georgia. Kevin Riley, how are you, sir?
2: Good, and good to be here. Thanks for having me.
5: When was the last time you were on an Amtrak train?
2: Uh, I I can't recall being on an Amtrak train it, it, since maybe I was a I was a kid. Last time I really spent a lot of time on on trains of this style was when I went to uh, Europe a few years ago.
5: Now you just got on the train in, in Gainesville, Georgia. Right. We're heading towards Atlanta, where you live. When we think about the rail system in America, I mean, you know, we go back to the days of America. I mean, the, the rail system built America. We used to tell time by railroad time. Um, you know, way before Dwight Eisenhower said, um, you know, America didn't build the interstate highway system, the interstate highway system built America, it was really the trains. Right, right. It, it, yeah. it, it, connected, it connected every state. Um, and I guess people don't realize that Amtrak, I didn't realize it, goes to 500 destinations.
2: No, I, I would agree with you. I think that people overlook Amtrak, aren't sure about it, and uh, even myself coming here to Gainesville, uh, you know, to to meet up with you so we could ride together, I, I was uncertain. I you know I hadn't done it before, wasn't totally sure I was in the right place. I made a couple phone calls, you know, and uh, now that you're you know I'm on board, it's comfortable, it's fun, it's and it's uh, it's relaxing as we sort of cruise through North Georgia here.
5: You know, we talk all a lot about about infrastructure in America. You know, trains, planes, automobiles. Roads, bridges—you name it—it's a huge issue. It's, a, it's an issue whether it's in Atlanta, Los Angeles. We talk about high-speed rail. Uh, the, you know, it, it's—I know—I'm going to shock you when I tell you this because I was shocked when I was told this. We are celebrating, if you will, the 50th anniversary of the bullet train in Japan, and we still don't have high-speed rail in America.
2: I know it's it's an interesting thing and I think it's become even more prevalent as as this conversation has come up about autonomous cars. One of the things you'll hear people say is this reluctance Americans have to just even give up the wheel. You know, whether people will ever even let a, a car drive for them because they prefer to drive themselves and and just that mindset uh, of America. I, we are going to wrestle with it though because at some level and certainly it's true in Atlanta where you need alternatives to people being in cars and ways to to get around and uh, get over the, the, the aggravation, the road rage, all the things we talk about that, that make traveling so hard.
5: Well, let's talk about infrastructure specifically as it relates to your city. You know, Atlanta just keeps expanding, keeps evolving. The commute times keep expanding. <clears throat> right. 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 When the Obama administration talked about high-speed rail, so many governors said, we don't want it. They opted out of it. Uh, right now, we have a couple of projects, one in California, with some private funded projects in Florida, one called Brightline. And and you look at these projects and you go, wow, it sounds great. You and I may never see the high-speed rail project in California in our lifetime. In Florida, the Brightline project, which is completely privately funded, is going between Orlando and West Palm Beach. That's it. And at speeds of over 110 miles an hour. But you know, if you look at the definition of what high-speed rail is, it's over 125 miles an hour. And we st- we're still not there.
2: Yeah, and and I don't know uh, whether we'll get there. Of course, the, you know when, when the Obama administration tried to give that money to states for high-speed rail, there was a strong reaction against it. it. Part of it was based on costs. and there's also a debate about whether people would would ever ride. And and I do think that's really comes down to what it comes down to is just sort of the psychology of Americans. And let me give you an example of what yeah. I mean. The the guy who runs Atlanta's public transportation system, MARTA, Keith Parker, who's been there about six years. You know, he has talked to me about the the idea that part of what Marta has to do is get people to overcome their fear of using it. When people hear fear, they 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 immediately jump to oh, it's not safe, you know, a crime or something. It's not that. He he talks about how it's really about being comfortable, going to the train station, knowing how to use your pass, knowing how the routes work, where to you know where you might have to get on and off. And I think that's that's all part of it, right? Is that you know you're in your car, you're in control, you know what to do, but it can be much more fun to be on a train or use public transportation once you get used to it.
5: I mean, you know, here we are on a train that goes back over 100 years, <clears throat> easily over 100 years, and we're going through cities and towns you may not have ever been, right? I <laughs> mean, you know, Toccoa, Georgia, uh, Tuscaloosa, Laurel, Mississippi, Hattiesburg.
2: I've been to a few of those places along yeah, the way. But, there, but not but, by train. No, and, and most of us, uh, we, we, we experience cities... And small towns, especially from the distant view on a interstate, I know. instead of really, you know, being in that town and seeing what it's like.
5: I mean, I'm one of those people who who loves the idea of the rhythm of a train, uh, the pace, the idea that you can actually sit and think, you know, things that we don't get a chance to do a lot.
2: Right, and, and you know, and I, and I mentioned to you this experience I had in Europe, which was in France, and. Uh, and it, people genuinely, you, you end up enjoying the train. People have food. We were on a train once where uh, two couples were having a bottle of wine and, and, and cheese and crackers. And it was clearly, like, just wonderful relaxing, wonderful and relaxing for them to spend this hour and a half going wherever they were going.
5: Well, you forgot one other thing that you did. You had a conversation. Right, right, exactly. People actually sit and talk to each other like we're doing now. Yeah, yeah. So if people are still unsure of, of or not aware as much as they should be about, about a train like this, for example, or about the train network itself. What is the future for a system like Amtrak when you have Congress every year that you know essentially either ignores it or tries to take money away from it?
2: I think it, it, it makes for a very rough future because it, right now we're sort of in a place in terms of our political climate where people want a cost justification, a return on investment, they want a metric. And of course, these kinds of systems historically, including the interstate highway system, they're they not money makers. Mean, no. They don't return. We, we, they're an investment. They're, they're enablers. Right, exactly. And uh, but How do you
5: sell that to an accountant?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough sell, especially when you don't have a lot of people who have experienced it or can advocate for it. I mean, you know, you got thousands of people every day, tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people every day in a city like Atlanta who are experiencing the interstate. So they're happy to argue about an improvement for an interchange or. I love that you said
5: experiencing lane. the interstate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: But if you only have uh, you have many fewer than that experiencing a ride like this, you just don't have the advocacy that you might Hello, uh, this is your captain
8: speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Motor running. Head out on the
3: highway, looking for.
5: I always like to get a, a local flavor of this, and so my next guest, who boarded the train a little bit ago, he's the mayor of Pillahatchie. Did I pronounce that right? You got it just right. That's good. Pillahatchie, Mississippi. That's good. That's I have to say good. Mississippi.
9: That's right. Mississippi. 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 Right.
5: <laughs> Knox Ross, Knox, thank you for coming. Thank you. Where is Pillahatchie?
9: It's uh, 20 miles east of Jackson, Mississippi, right on Interstate 20. So between Meridian?
5: And yeah, Meridian and Jackson. So no train service there now for passengers. That's right. But you'd like to have it. We would, yes. But you are still benefiting from train service in that whole region because of trains like this. That's exactly
9: right. I can drive about an hour and take this train to New Orleans. I can drive about 30 minutes and take another
5: train to New Orleans. Now, you've been mayor for how long? 16 years. So they haven't found out yet? No, Okay, just double checking. That's right. But in those 16 years... Give me an idea of where rail service has been and, and where it is right now.
9: Well, in Mississippi, it's about the same as it's always been. We have two long distance trains that serve Mississippi, which is the one we're on, the Crescent, that comes into Mississippi at Meridian and goes out in Picayune, which will be our next stop. And then we have and goes to New Orleans. We also now, have. Picayune
5: the, is Louisiana. No, that's in Mississippi. Still Mississippi. Still Mississippi. Okay.
9: And then we go, then you have the city of New Orleans, which runs between Chicago and New Orleans through the center of the state through Jackson.
5: Now, this train that we're on right now, the original Southern crest. Right. was part of an 8,000-mile track system at one point. Right. And now it's, it's been reduced, but still, you're still seeing a huge part of America. That's absolutely correct. And it's still, it still may not be directly contributing to profits of, of Amtrak, but it is indirectly contributing to the economic growth of the cities that it goes to.
9: Yes. It brings people to the front door of the city. I mean, we're sitting in Hattiesburg, Mississippi right now. They've got a beautiful new station that we're sitting in, and they've had all sorts of economic development around the station as they, have, as they have
5: revitalized this area. What was the encouragement for them economically to do that? Uh,
9: they see it as important. They see this train is bringing people to their, the city center. And they, they have really what's called essential, essential air service, which is subsidized air service, uh, that, that is in danger of being eliminated. And well, so you really uh, have no another way about to About every here.
5: two years, by the way, it is. That's right. I mean, there are cities in South Dakota that no longer have it. That's correct. But they still have it here. They still have it here. Who flies here?
9: Uh, probably American. It changes. I mean, it, yeah. it changes whoever t- get the contract. Uh, and you'll fly. But like we're talking to, small planes, yes, yeah, very small, really small, really planes. small. You'll fly, say, to Dallas, and then make connections there. And it and it and it hurts their competitiveness because if you don't have transportation options, it's very hard for them to get people here. And you also have the University of Southern Mississippi, which is a Division One university here that brings millennials straight to straight. It brings millennials straight to their front door.
5: Not millennials. Well, I'm, I'm going up to yeah. it. But bottom line is, you need that flow. That's right. You do. So along this route, this 1,377-mile route between New York and New Orleans, there's a train that goes back essentially like 1849. Right. Right? Right. Uh, Is it going to stick around?
9: Uh, Yes, it will. I mean, my mother rode this train in 1946. Got on in Laurel, Mississippi, went to study at the University of
5: North Carolina, and uh, that's how she got there. And then you rode it. That's right. How many of the people in Pilihatchee— ride the trains
9: there more than you think because they'll go to jackson it's about 30 minutes and go to downtown jackson come to new orleans uh, i have a lot of friends that do that and and the wonderful thing about the train is is the party sort of starts now jackson's the where the city of new orleans that's starts. right okay. that's exactly right and then i have friends that live to the east of jackson it's easier for them to go to meridian and get on the train and come to new orleans which i've done a couple of times recently
5: myself but how many people who live in new york city are going to come to new orleans by train not that many which I think is too bad. I, think I, too I agree.
9: Bad. I agree because you, you fly. I mean, I flew last week, and, and it's, it's like cattle car. I mean, they get you on the plane, they get you off the plane, they prod you as you go through TSA. Here, you get on the train. I was in Meridian this morning, got on the train. Nobody's prodding me. Nobody's asking me what's in my bag. Uh, it's a very civilized way to do things. Uh, if I want to bring a, a, a bottle of wine on board to have in my compartment, I can do that. I know why you came
5: on board for the pie. That's right. You came on for Weidman's Pie. That's right. I did. I did.
9: And it was fantastic. It was. Just like I remembered from my childhood.
5: (laughs) And it goes back that far. That's right. It does. It does. All right. So you use the train as an option, a viable alternative, if you will, to flying. Yes. But a lot of people do it because either they're afraid of flying. Right. Still. Right. Or because physically it's too much of, of, of a hassle for them?
9: Well, you, you take someone who is older or more incapacitated. It's much easier for them. It's more dignified for them. They can travel with some dignity in, in, a, in a train, a wider seat. They can walk. They can get up and walk around and stretch. Uh, they can do the things they need to do. It's wonderful for families where the children can play. Because an awful lot of people, the people on this train, they're not riding from New York to new orleans they're riding from birmingham to new orleans they're riding from meridian to new orleans they're riding from charlotte to atlanta it, it it's made up of segments so to speak and i think if, if you go back and you talk to amtrak and they tell you where do people get on and get off it's not the new york or dc to new orleans runs it's the city payers in between that are very important
5: so basically when they look at their numbers and they see that i got on in new york and got off in of new orleans gonna go what's wrong with him?" yeah that's right yeah, that's okay. right i just want to make sure but I actually think it's a pretty good idea.
9: Yeah, well, it is. I mean, I've ridden the train from Meridian to D.C. several times. Took my daughter last summer on. Uh, she went with me. We were on a college uh, hunt trip, I mean, where you go inspect oh, yeah. colleges. And, uh, and, you know, the great thing, she's going to be going to Elon this fall, which she can ride the train from Meridian to Greensboro and go right on over to Burlington.
5: So you, you basically chose your college based on rail lines? <laughs> no, but, uh, but, but I was happy to hear that because it was easy to get there. <laughs> Well, speaking of rail lines, you also serve as a member of the Southern Rail Commission. That's correct. Explain that. The Southern Rail Commission
9: is a compact created by the United States Congress back in the 80s between the states of Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. And there are six members from each state. We're all appointed by our governors. And we are charged with promoting— You're not paid. No, no. They pay our expenses. That's it. And uh, we're not paid. And we're, we promote rail passenger rail transportation in our three states. And what we are charged with now with our governor and our two United States senators is our main project is to reestablish service that was lost after Katrina east of New Orleans over to Jacksonville and down to Orlando, Florida.
5: And how's that coming?
9: It's coming very well. I mean, we, we've been working the last 18 months with uh, an organization called the Gulf Coast Working Group that was established by Congress to bring a report back to Congress to say what has to be done to uh, reestablish service, and that was a group uh, led by the Federal Railroad Administrator, uh, the Southern Rail Commission, uh, Amtrak, and the Host Railroad, which is CSX. And we worked very hard, did modeling, toured the line, met with the main stakeholders, uh, found problems that we began to try to find solutions for. And where we are now is, is that I think we're at a negotiating standpoint with the Host Railroad, trying to make, see how we can make this work.
5: And, of course, that railroad being a freight line. That's right. And we're back to square one with that ridiculous Correct. relationship between, I mean, it's almost by definition, you're at odds. Right. Because you don't own the tracks or most of them. Right. You, got, they don't, you don't have priority. No, well, you're supposed to. But you don't. Right. So, therefore, as I'm talking to you right now... This train is not moving. That's right. We're stopping the wh- station. Okay. And why is this train not moving?
9: Well, we're at a station stop right now. Yeah, so but, yeah but but why are we not moving? Well, it's probably because the there is a train in front of us blocking the And that train way.
5: would be a freight train. That's right. Okay, uh, that's what I was getting to. That's right. That's the problem. That's right. How do you fix that?
9: Well, everything's fixable with money. I mean, we could build separate tracks, and if we had all the money in the world, we could do that. Um, I think that the, the, the biggest solution is looking at it very closely, and we just need some bold thinking. It's saying that passenger train service is important to our country.
5: Okay. How and many that, people have embraced that, number one?
9: Uh, well, there are more and more. I mean, what, what you find is, is in the United States Congress, Amtrak probably has more bipartisan support than it's ever had. Uh, like I said, our two United States senators from a very red state, Mississippi. Are, are big supporters of Amtrak and also big supporters of expanded service. And so you have people like that that say we want what was, this. What
5: was the turning point for them?
9: Well, I think, I think uh, with one, uh, I think both of them is the people, especially on the coast, that, that contacted them directly just a grassroots. It was not organized by anyone that said we want our train back after Katrina. I think that really started it. That's what the governor of Mississippi told us. When we met with him, he says, I'm getting calls every week from people wanting to train back. Uh, but I think it's trying to find, understanding that these are, these are privately owned railroads, they're private companies, and we can't just run willy-nilly. I mean, that, it's important to understand we have to be respectful of that.
5: Wait a s- I have a solution. Just change the name from Amtrak to willy-nilly. <laughs> Good. Come on. All right, all right. Where are the wagons? The wagons too
1: slow. Can't
8: you ride? it's not that he can't ride how is it you put it home they're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle I do I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs
5: Loving this trip, it brings out the kid in me. And joining me now is another kid who loves the trains. He's a musician named John Flynn, who, whose music has taken him from the Jersey Shore to uh, to Nashville and back. And uh, But you always find yourself on the trains, John.
3: I somehow, when, whenever I get a chance, I jump on, absolutely. What is it about it? Romance, I think. Uh, I think it's, it's built into this way of travel. Maybe if you just grew up watching movies the way I did, there's something about it. And what I love is that you see you see everything from down on the ground. It's not like in in a in a jet, you know. Uh,
5: now you jumped on board the train in uh, in Joe Biden's favorite train station, Wilmington, Delaware.
3: That's right, the Joe Biden train station. That's right.
5: I think everybody calls it that, don't it, they? It,
3: I think it's it's written on the door, actually. So. <laughs>
5: And uh, But you write a lot about the trains.
3: Well, I, I have in the past. I mean, I commuted to Temple University on, on the local, the Wilmington local. But uh, I had never taken a long trip until I uh, hooked up with our friend here, Jerome. And, uh, and I rode the train with Arlo and, and the Guthrie family after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, and that was really my indoctrination to, uh, to train travel.
5: And you wrote the song.
3: I, I did. I, I had. Like I said, I'd, n- I'd never seen the country from, from this perspective before, and especially going from, from Chicago down in New Orleans, on the city of New Orleans.
5: And that was his song.
3: Exactly. Like Steve Goodman's song that Arlo made famous. It, 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 it's, it kept striking me as, as we rolled through these old towns that, that we were right where the other side of the tracks occurred. So you got to look at both sides of America as you, as you travel through it.
5: So play a little man. All right. <laughs>
3: There's a clock on a wall and a train on the track. You step from the platform without looking back. I see by the window a ticket to ride. The silver coach lurches and then starts to glide. And lately you got a feeling inside. America's waiting, America's waiting for you. You learn the old rhythms as you roll along, and the beat of the heartland is steady and strong. Where steel rails stretch out just like old guitar strings. And the driving wheel bigger than God's gold earrings strums them and you hear a continent sing. America's waiting. America's waiting. In the tall mountain pines, in the green rolling plains. In the roar of great rivers swollen with rain. Where the red-tailed hawk wheels and the bald eagle soars on the thermals that rise from the rock canyon floors. From the Mexican Gulf to the great northern shores. America's waiting, America's waiting. In the strength and the spirit that's drawn up from this native soil, you still see it shining in faces of people who toil for a dream that slips away a little more each day. the crumbling cities, the boarded up towns. Where the prisons go up and the factories shut down. In the church basement shelter in the soup kitchen doors. In the eyes of the soldier just back from the wars. If you've never taken a good look before. America's waiting, America's waiting for you. You've been listening
4: to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world.